Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Province Force Podcast. Welcome to the White Tail Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Ed Willis, fresh off his California road trip. Ed, this Vancouver Canucks team, I this whole season to me has been a roller coaster from the streaks to the expectations to the themes. It's not been a sort of a standard season, and I, I find we came out of this long break that they had off the All-Star break. Hey, they're in a, a playoff race, which they still are. But the expectations seem to have plummeted with what's happened in the last two weeks. You saw it uphand. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. Like coming out of that All Star break, they re- they really had all hands on deck for the first time all season, and I was really curious to see where they were going to go from there. At that point, I kind of liked their chances. Like they had a favorable schedule. I think fourteen of their last twenty one are at home. Um, a lot against non playoff teams. Of course, that describes just about everybody in the Western Conference these days. So that lasted, of course, all of one. Game they go into Colorado, blitz the Avs five one, and then the next is Sven Berchi has a head, and that whole road trip they were without six regulars. So uh, you know it's kind of like the dog that can sing. It's not that they do it well; it's that they can do it at all, and they were competitive in every game. And probably I think they deserved at least three points out of the six, and you can make a case they probably could have got four. They get one win in L.A. and uh, but. In that West, that's kind of all you need to stay in the uh, stay in the conversation. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. The the, uh, the playoff race, if you want to call it that. But um, I wanted to talk about these injuries, and you look at what's yeah. happened recently. Obviously, it started with Tanev, Edler. Now Vertanen's gone. Obviously, something happened to Demko, Markstrom. Um, down the list, I mean, that's to add. Well, Sutter as well. Uh, you mentioned Barchi. I mean. And then this has been going on all year. It seems to go on year after year. What is it with this team? I mean, Francesco Aquilini and Jim Benning have both sort of leaned on this every year. We won't talk about injuries next year because we'll have the depth. And here we are. They're talking about injuries. Are they doing something wrong or are they the most unlucky team in hockey? I, I, I think um, I, I think they are. I think there's a big element of, of, of unluckiness in it. Um, last year they were at or near the top in all the you know relevant uh, statistical categories of man games lost injury. This year they were fine but this last little <laughs> spike has kind of moved them into the top three. I, I, I think I, I look at it this way. It just seems to me we're talking about the same players over and over again and I really do believe some players are injury prone. Whether that makes them unlucky or not, I don't know but it just seems every year we're talking about Chris Tanev, we're talking about Sven Berich, we're talking about Brandon Sutter, uh, Edler, especially Edler, yeah. especially in the, you know, the latter uh, latter stages of his career. And 
and those are the guys that are out now. Um, Jake Vertanen gets wiped out by a blindside hit by Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, what's that? I mean, you know, Jake's a big, strong kid. Yep. He was just, you know, but but now he's got a broken rib and he's he's out for a month. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's what I would put it down to. I mean, I I look at the young, like I look at Bo Horvat's a tank. He's indestructible. I'd be really surprised if he has injury problems throughout his year, uh, throughout his career. I, you know, Besser seems to have rebounded from you know his earlier injuries. Uh, Patterson has kind of had you know a stretch now of about I think, 30, 40 games. I'm going to say off the top and that might that might be a little too much but they had to lean on them so heavily because of this other thing um you know the other injuries in in, in the lineup so it 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 is weird it is unsettling that it seems to happen over and over again and i think until they re- replace some of the parts in the lineup you could probably think it'll happen again you know, it is puzzling. I mean, we always now in the, this day of analytics, everyone's always looking for proof of a reason of something. And it's like, you know, someone always has to be on the top. Someone always has to be on the bottom. That's how statistics work. But Mike Gillis doesn't get credit for much of anything in this market. But he was very much on the sleep doctor, on lobbying for the schedule. Their schedule this year is Crazy. so bizarre. Yeah, and you yeah. can't blame it on the World Juniors. I even look at this preponderance of road games, these longer road trips, and then when they have all their home games in March, they're like every second night. So it doesn't afford a lot of rest there either. Is there is there something to that that the Canucks need to be more proactive or maybe a little more um forward thinking on the things away from the ice? I think so. And you know, and I think Gillis deserves some credit for at least focusing on, you know, and not pretend not pretending it didn't exist, but focusing on it, trying to offer solutions. Now we can argue whether or not those solutions, you know, had any Absolutely, had, yeah. had any impact on the bottom line. But the fact that he was willing to look at them they still make jokes about the sleep doctor, by the way, <laughs> around the uh, around the Canucks locker room. Um so so yeah, and and I think they have to like they, they, they you just can't kind of throw your hands up and go oh boy here we go again are we are we unlucky because it's like I said last year this year the year before that same players over and over again it, it just seems to me you if you're going into next year thinking Sven Berchi is going to be in your top six you've got a problem now maybe it is like maybe 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 he is that guy maybe he is the 25 goal scorer they thought he was going to be and maybe all the injuries are behind it but you look at the guy's history and it's reasonable to think you know there's a there's a pattern here that's going to repeat itself same with Sutter same with Chris Taneb um so yeah yeah. you know people suggesting that you might get a first rounder from a defense needy team at the deadline for Taneb because he's so solid but why would you invest any any great uh Return in a guy who could play three games for you, and then he's done. I yeah. mean, that's a reality. Well, and a, yeah, and any chance of that deal happening just flew out the window yeah. with, with with this latest injury. So yeah, I mean, uh, Tanner maybe a little different animal just because of the position he plays, and yeah. you know they are so thin on the back end. Maybe you have to you know just roll the dice and get what you can out of him next season. Uh, but the other guys, and again, this is you know it kind of underscored on the like I was looking at their lineup. They've got the three twenty goal scores. They're three. You know, foundational pieces up front, Pedersen, Besser, and, and Horvat. They don't have another forward right now in the lineup who scored in the double digits in goals with the Canucks this season. 
Um, it's crazy. It's the the the, the drop off between their high end guys and the, the the middle class has disappeared. It's like the United States, and that should be like, the easiest <laughs> part to get, shouldn't it? Well, yeah, it, theoretically, yes, yes. But you know, again, you know, the thing, you know, like Besser's, or I'm sorry, um, um, Berchi is going to you know occupy one of those spots, and Berchi, in the grand scheme of things, is really an important player for the Canucks because he is that one guy who adds scoring depth. Uh, you know, and, and balances out his second scoring line. You know, when he's not there, all of a sudden you're looking at some combination of Antoine Roussel or, uh, you know, moving Louis Erickson up in the lineup. And they, they just can't get it done at the NHL level on a consistent basis. So the silver lining there is what so many people seem to be calling for all season anyway, which is play the kids. Yeah. Um, Mikey DiPietro aside, how have you been impressed with some of the guys who've been given an opportunity? I mean, now you are going to see Gaudette play more, and certainly yeah. McEwen has been a player that fans have taken too quickly. Yeah, I, well, Gaudette's the guy I want to see more of, and I, and I thought it was really unfortunate that game in San Jose he ends up playing under 10 minutes because the night before he has a golden assist in Los Angeles. In the meantime, they're playing Pedersen 22, 23 minutes, Horvat the same, Besser the same. So I think they're going to have to start, you know, feeding more minutes to uh, to, to, to guys like Gaudet. McEwen played under three minutes, which was crazy. Yeah, it was weird. In in San Jose. <laughs> you know, yeah, and what, he had a fight and, and then didn't see the ice again. And it, he seems fine. Like, I like him on the forecheck. He's a big body, can make some plays with the puck, but the sample size is so small uh, r- right now. So, uh, yeah, of those guys, I'm just sort of running through the list in my head. They've called Ash and Sautner up. Breezebois played two games again. You know, he's playing eight, nine minutes. And uh, uh, Travis Green said he really liked his game in Anaheim uh, and then didn't really play him much after that. You know, I get it. I get where they are in the in the playoff. I, I get they're trying to stay in it. I get that Troy Stetcher and Ben Hatton have come, become kind of a reliable pairing. But... It's just the extreme at the other end, the guys that aren't playing that that I find a little troublesome. Spilled milk, I know, but this is uh, not just another reason to be disappointed in Ole Ulevi's injury yeah. because you look at the opportunity that would yeah. have been there for him right now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, and and that's. I mean, I think we're going to get into this a little later, but like like looking forward, and can you imagine? You know, is Ulevi that top four guy that a lot of scouts think he still is? Quinn Hughes a by all reports is. I mean, people are calling him the best prospect not in the NHL right now. So, you know, maybe maybe it does brighten up in the future. But, yeah, this should have been the year where they found out a lot about Ulevi, where he was in development, and they kind of start all over again next year. Yeah, we will talk about that later on. Um, we'll also get into in a minute about this this Western race. But uh, I wanted to ask you your impressions of the road trip having been down there. It used to be such a landmark thing when the Canucks were yeah, yeah. doing so well that you'd see Canuck fans, oh, it's the middle of the winter, let's get away to California. Was there much Canucks presence down there at all in the stands? There, there, there's a little. You are, I mean, but two you of see, those you teams see, are just disgustingly you, you see, bad. So, so if we can backtrack, I went on the one late in the 2011 season through California, and it, it, it was like, might have been the high water mark in the the history of the Canucks franchise because the, the, the Canucks fan would take over the lower bowl and when I say there were two 3,000 of them, I, I am not exaggerating. I remember a game they played in Phoenix that year where it was like a Canucks home game. It was crazy, like the level of support for the Canucks versus the level, level of uh, support for the Coyotes. Um, 
it's dropped way off since then. It's dissipated a lot. There's still you still see guys in their Canucks jersey, but it's certainly not uh, like like what it was, uh, you know, in, in the salad days. Yeah, maybe the opportunity to go to Vegas and watch them yeah, play. Yeah, I was too. wondering about that yeah. too. Yeah, um, but it is. Let's talk about this a little bit. Um, the fortunes of this team in the West and who they're chasing, and I mean. LA and Anaheim are just they're just, they're just flat out awful, and I, I find it interesting that Anaheim is not that far out of a playoff spot, much like the Canucks. I know goal difference is a is more of a soccer uh, stat, but still, when you look, it's pretty simple math: how many you score versus how much you give up. And I, I think it's the it's either the Avalanche or the Wild who are just two points ahead of the Ducks, and they're a minus three. And the Ducks are a minus 50 in their goal difference. Yeah. Like, this is a comical chase for this last oh, yeah. playoff spot, is it not? Yeah, it's a turtle derby. No, no, 100%. And funny, it's uh, the Ducks change coaches. Like, Bob, this blew my mind. Bob, Bob Murray has been in the game since the mid-70s as a player first and then an, an executive. He's never coached a game before that game we were in in Anaheim. And they won. I, I know they they won again last night. So you know a two game winning streak, and then then they're in the they're in the middle of the the, the playoff chase all, all of a sudden. You know, and they've still got a lineup. They they've been absolutely terrible this year. Well, look at what St. Louis has done. Absolutely, Try and, and even Chicago to some that. degree. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Looks Chicago's like the second worst team in the NHL. I, I just love Chicago the way they play, just because yeah. like they don't give a shit about defense. It's just we're gonna go fill the net. We're gonna outscore our problems and and, and be. And, and and we're going to beat you that way. So I mean, it it, it really is. Uh, I don't know what the word is for it. It's almost like an anti race. And the Canucks will probably, as long as they win the odd game here, they'll probably be able to stay within two, three points of that playoff spot, and they can point and look and go, you see, look at the improvement we have here, which it, which is fine for them. Uh, just like Paul Fenton had, a, they were asking him about whether or not uh, the Wild GM, whether or not the Wild are going to be sellers or buyers at the deadline, and he went on this rant about the parity in the league and how Gary Bettman has done such a great job and how it's good for business, and that's really kind of the underlying thing here that so many teams. Teams can point in the West, can point to that eighth and final playoff. So I see how close we are, see how close we are, sell that to their fans. Yeah, and then there is the entertainment factor as well. But how does that – and it's so hard to suggest this, Ed, but how does this project for the Canucks a few years out? We talked about this a couple of years ago when you looked at what the Canucks had and how they were missing that elite talent, and you looked and you assumed at the time that Edmonton <laughs> would be making strides because you're looking at McDavid, yeah. you're looking at Gaudreau. The teams that they would be competing with. And now, I mean, I look at L.A. and they still have some very elite talent. It's older. Mm -hmm. But if they add that young, you know, obviously they'd need a couple years down there. But, you know, whether it's Jack Hughes or someone else, I see a quick turnaround there. Chicago, same thing. Still got some elite talent. But if they add some, we've seen, as you mentioned, St. Louis. Like, where do the Canucks sit in the West here in terms of how you see things playing out in the next year or two? I think Anaheim's in huge trouble. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. look old, and they yes, look. That's you know, right. We've yeah, yeah, about that. yeah. No, they're, they're just swinging the last kind of uh, kilojoules of energy yeah. <laughs> out of that group. I think the Can- the Canucks are positioned reasonably well. I, I don't know how else to uh, to qual- to qualify that. Um, I, I look at the age of their key players. Horvat's twenty three. Besser's twenty one. 
Patterson's 20, Quinn Hughes 19, he'll be 20 next year. They've got some other pieces. I, I think, you know, that that's kind of the nucleus going forward. It's how fast they can fill out a supporting cast around them. That That's the big question. And uh, how fast they can rebuild that defense. Um, goaltending seems to be in reasonably solid hands. Jacob Markstrom's back or whatever it was notwithstanding. So I, I, I think they're fine, but they're still kind of in this kind of gray mass of teams that are look a little promising, look like they're pointed in the direction, look like they might be turning a corner, but you just don't know if they're going to turn that corner, if they're just kind of in that holding pattern. Yeah, are they Edmonton or Calgary, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's where you look at where they are in their development. Um, so let's talk about the blue line a little bit. I mean, yes, you look at the top six forwards. There's still some work to be done, but, uh, you know, goaltending the plan looks yeah. pretty set now. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty clear that uh, the blue line is number one priority now. Before we get into I know you want to talk about Quinn Hughes. Um you and I talked about this in a different frame before we started the podcast about whether, I don't know if it's real pressure or not, but about social media uh, and the fact that there's so many voices and do they carry any weight? You can debate that forever. But um, is it like every game now, if I follow social media, it's good Branson and Pouliot, good Branson and yeah. Pouliot. There's no doubt these guys are have a massive albatross around their neck from such a high draft pick status, but they are just the whipping boys for the Canucks, deserve it or not. Well, they're substandard. I'm not going to try and tell you. And and until they upgrade significantly at least one of those positions and two, it's really hard to take this rebuild seriously. Now let's flip that on. Let's get into Quinn Hughes now because let's say he arrives as a top four guy. And let's say he is the answer to a lot of their prayers. Let, let's just say, let's just say he isn't Patterson, but let's just say he has a, a rookie or comparable. Next, we're talking about next, you know, a rookie or comparable to Brock Besser's here. That might be a little too optimistic, but you know, considering his his resume, it, it, it's not out of this world. All of a sudden, you're looking at a defense that's completely. That's the thing about the blue line. You need one guy, maybe two guys, and it changes the whole uh, complexion of the, of the of the position completely. So, if Hughes is that guy, let's say he fits comfortably in your top four, and you can play him in certain situations in a top pairing. Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at a, at a case where one of Chris Tanev or Ben Hutton is your fifth best defenseman. You've got Hughes, you've got Edler, you've got Troy Stetcher, and I think this season has proved that you know. He's pretty good NHL defenseman. You've got Hutton, and then and then you've got uh, you've got Tanev. Now you're in a position where you're playing Good Branson, who's under contract next year, twelve fifteen minutes a game, and he's still a reasonably good penalty killer, and he does have a physical presence, and he is you know he's a deterrent back there, no matter what. But but that's all he should be. If you're playing him any more than that, then you're exposing him, and this is where they run into into problems. So all of a sudden, Quinn Hughes, I mean, as much as all of these guys have been really important stories in the Canucks' development, Quinn Hughes is just so important because of the position he plays. Now you throw your levy in there, and would he be ready next year? I think that's a big reach, but like halfway through the season, after some seasoning in Utica, you bring him up. Again, fifth overall pick. There are still scouts out there who think he will develop into a really solid NHL defenseman. But does Hughes really help that development? Because I think if Hughes isn't there, there's this expectation that, uh, you know, uh, 
Yule Levy's going to be your Lumi or even Jeff Brown. Like yeah, yeah, he's going to yeah. be this off, run the run the power play. Right. I would think if that role is a little more provide the offense, Quinn from the blue line, it allows you Levy a little more room for growth and to just to be that solid NHL. Does it yeah, not? Yeah. Well, I think that's the plan. I mean, the name you hear a lot compared to Levy is Dan Hamhuis. Can he be that kind of guy? And if it was as easy. As that sounds, there'd be a lot more, you know, those really good two-way defensemen who'll get you, you know, 25 to 35 points, uh, who'll drive the offense, who'll move the puck. You know, the kind of modern-day NHL, you're like zero physicality, but can make plays with the puck, can generate offense uh, from from the back end. And the, the Canucks have only been missing those guys like forever. Uh, and when Christian Ehrhoff is kind of the gold standard for that, then you know you, you maybe maybe your franchise has had a problem there. So I I, I think they can look at it, and and I I would all, I'm always trying to be guardedly optimistic with these young guys, but but Besser and Patterson like the, just the fact the way they've stepped in and the way they have like changed things, um, and Hughes is kind of I mean he's on a different level now or I'm sorry on a very similar level. He just plays a more demanding position. It's a little easier for forwards to come in and contribute right away. But if Hughes comes in and you just think of the guys who've stepped in, whether it's Charlie McAvoy, and I know he's had injury problems this year, there's been guys around the league who have made an impact just because they're such you know great skaters and can play the game at, uh, at, at NHL speed, and that's certainly Hughes. You know, again, and we were talking about this before we started, I don't want to get into the whole goalie situation last week, the development this week, because yeah. they offered Michael Layton a, a contract. Now, I I had Pat, with you on the road last week, talked to Patrick about the whole situation when they made the trade for the goalie. And again, current buzzwords, asset management, yeah, he gave up a seventh yeah. rounder, it's still a chip you can play, it's yeah. a lottery mm-hmm. ticket, blah, blah, blah. So there's this two schools of thought here. One is that... You know, a seventh round draft pick or your fifth or sixth string goalie, which you use in an emergency in a year where maybe you make the playoffs and win a game, is the top end. Not going to have any difference in your bigger development. The counter argument, which Patrick was making last week, is yeah, but it's how you do the deal. How do you end up in that position? Mm-hmm. It tells more about you as a GM overall than the specific instance. How do you think the job Jim Benning is doing? And, and, and like, he's obviously two years ago, we were like, He's on his last chance. Things have turned for Jim. You mm-hmm. talk to him. How do you assess what's going on? Let, let me back into this because I think this whole scenario is just so Canuckian. It, it staggers my – any other team, you know, okay, th- yeah, they've rolled the dice a bit. But, but okay, you've got, like, you've got your backup goalie who isn't even playing games. He gets hurt in warm-up and doesn't get hurt. He's out for two, three weeks getting hurt in warm-up. So you've got this elite goaltending prospect. You bring him up for one game, you think, what's the worst that can happen? Maybe you lose 4-2, the kid gets some experience. No. He allows three goals on the first five shots he faced, and people are running around pulling their hair out. This stuff only happens to the Canucks. Oh, it does. Yes, yes. Yes, Benning put them in a vulnerable position, but like from there, it's just the way the whole story un- unspools. Um Getting back to Jim, I, I, I kind of think he's been exactly what's advertised, a, a, a really good scout, somebody with a good eye for talent, and maybe the broader base of skills you need for a general manager lacking. Yeah, it's. I mean, and this is the next thing now, the trade deadline. So we're, we're coming up uh, next week. If you If you, well, two things. What do you think they should do yourself, yeah. and what do you think they will do? 
I don't think they'll do much of anything. I, I find Vertan the only thing I, I kept thinking, I find the timing of Vertanen's injury really interesting. I thought he might have been in play. I thought they might have packaged him with something and try and get uh, a, a defenseman kind of at a comparable level, say like a higher draft pick who just wasn't meeting expectations. Pulley-Arvey? Um Or sorry, not a defenseman. defenseman yeah, yeah, defenseman. Well, no, not, she said Pulley-Arvey's name no, is what, okay, what The interesting name that came up for me is Dante Fabro because yeah. he's kind of been in play for for a couple of years now. Or the, and, and I'm not saying it's that or that was in the works. I'm just saying that deal, that kind of deal made a lot of sense to me. Uh, Jake still has an upside. Whatever else he is, he was the sixth overall pick. He is a big, strong kid who can shoot the puck. And 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 can play at NHL speed and maybe maybe a change of uh, you have to believe some some organizations look at him and go, you know, change of franchise, fresh start, you know, maybe that kid can be you know a real force. That's the only thing I thought. I just don't see, especially when they're on record as saying we're not going to trade any draft picks. Yeah. I don't see where they have unless they unless somebody is like so in love with Jonathan Dallin or so in love with Cole Lind. Or they they can make moves at that level. I just don't see a trade there for them. That's more of a draft day deal, though, isn't it? Like if you're, well, yeah, you know, like yeah. A, a, a deadline day deal is you're giving up someone for a prospect that can help a team in the playoffs. Yeah. And I don't see a lot of players on the Canucks roster. You talked about them missing the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're obviously not touching their elite players. So what's next that another team would want? You might have had a Sutter. You're right if you're yeah. hopeful of getting a mid round pick for him. Mm-hmm. But I don't see. You know, no one's taking Erickson's contract. I don't see the player there to be dealt. No, no, it would have been Tanev. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be that would have been a legitimate conversation. It would have been Tanner interesting Adler, to see. Or yeah, Tanner, <laughs> Sutter, or Berchi, or <laughs> all these. Guys. It's, it's quite Those remarkable, guys, actually. Well, no, and that, that's what I'm saying. I, I just don't see where they have the chips to play. Um, you, you're right. At this time of year, teams, there are very few hockey trades. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. I'm still thinking back to that deadline deal where they traded Cody Hanson for Zach Cassian. And there was like, you know, there's like, it's carpet bombing around trade deadline for a yeah. month. All the insiders, they've got this, they've got that. And, you know, and then, then they make this. The Canucks make this huge deal for what at the time were two top prospects swamped for each other, and nobody had a hot clue that that was on. Uh, anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the assets that teams typically look for at the trade deadline, the Canucks just don't have. Do you think there'll be much activity this year? I, you know, if we look, you know, we typically speak mostly Canucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, on this, but you know, you and I have talked a lot of NHL in the past on podcasts, and I just find it really strange. I mean, obviously, Tampa looks great, but you've got, and the Leafs have already made a move, but there's a lot of teams out there that you figure they can swing for the fences yep. and, and really make a move because I'm not sure who the favorite is. Again, Tampa, solid bet. Winnipeg, Nashville, uh, Vegas, all have had up and down seasons now starting to come on strong. Yeah. You talked about St. Louis. You look in the East, the Islanders. My God, mm-hmm. no one saw that coming. I think it's wide open this year. And if you're yep. a GM who has some balls, this might be a year to actually try and mortgage Well, the uh, balls and the assets to make those moves. I think the whole thing hinges on what Ottawa does. And clearly they're going to trade. Columbus. I, 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 I just don't see that happening. I don't see anybody coming out of their boots to, to trade Panarin. I see I see Columbus hanging on to him, keeping him as their rental, and making a run for what they have, and then saying goodbye in the off season and using whatever money they saved and going after somebody else. That that's the way I see it playing out. God knows I've been wrong before. 
Um, I just think Ottawa with, you know, okay, so Duchesne, and then if they can't sign Mark Stone, then I think the full rebuild's on. Then they probably throw Zingle into that mix as well. And those are like like three prime assets to have on the market. I, I, I'm kind of building myself up to be a little disappointed in this trade deadline. Yeah. And I've read things that this, you know, with the names in play, this could be, you know, the sexiest trade deadline in, in a long, long time. And I, I, I'm not sure if it's going to quite play out that way. Well, it's always whenever you expect it, it never happens. That, However, yeah. when you look at when you look at the list of free agents, you look at those teams yep. that have a lot to gain if they do get the right deal. I, the ingredients are at least there. Whether or not it happens, I don't know. Well, yeah, okay. So, but you know, let's throw a couple of names around that have kind of loosely been associated with the Canucks: Jacob Silverberg and, and Michael Furland, yeah, Anaheim and, and Carolina. Both both pending unrestricted free agents. Both seemingly would fetch a lot, you know, in the open market. They'd answer a lot of questions. Except Anaheim, all of a sudden, looks around and in you know the. The tractor pull in the in the Western Conference, they're in the playoffs. Same with Carolina. And I understand Furlan's great in the celebrations, too, so you don't want to lose that and break I was up getting, the chemistry I was get there. <laughs> so under different circumstances, if they were out of it, yeah, I could see them making those kind of moves. And maybe, no, we don't have enough time. There's nobody who can really fall out of it that fast. Over over the next six days, but that's kind of what I see as the forces which are driving the marketplace right now. Just too many teams who are in it, and the buyers and the sellers, um, they're a very small club between the two of them. Who who are the buyers going to be? You hear Winnipeg, you hear Boston. Those are the two teams that probably are going to make. Who are the sellers going to be? Well, Ottawa. Then a lot of question marks. Yeah, I mean, LA, an LA. And Anaheim, I don't know if you'd have any yeah, well, in their place, largely because they have such a big ticket financially. That's so right. Then you're yeah, and LA cap. kind of made their move with Jake Muzzin, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And so then who they're they looking for futures. So yeah. it, it's, it's an interesting thing. I did want to ask you about Carolina. <laughs> I know Patrick Johnson got a hold of Eddie Lack and got his thoughts on it as someone who had played in Carolina. Um, I know your thoughts on Don Cherry, um, but I also know you're a little bit of a hockey purist. I think people, the way even some people here reacted to the uh, seventh man and the or the Viking clap, that there's always a division there. I think it might be too cringy or too cheesy here in Vancouver to see that kind of stuff yeah. happen. But my God, do, are people getting wound up over something that people in Carolina seem to love? Or is this an affront to hockey? No, I, I the former in this case. This is really one of those issues I almost refuse to have an opinion on. <laughs> I knew it. No, knew it. no, because it, and it's like just so typical of this day and age, these kind of like, like Twitter takes this thing or social media takes this thing that has nothing to do with anything and blows it up into this cataclysmic, game-changing debate than if we have to draw the line here. It's not, it's fun. I, I, I don't care one way or the other. And, and I, I, I just think, you know, for that franchise, which has had so precious little, yeah. you know, to cheer for, to be excited about. Now, all of a sudden, they have this one thing that they call their own. God bless them. That, Absolutely. That's, that's, I, lo- I love the limbo one. I, well, all yeah. the hockey guys tried, like, who are, aren't the most flexible people in the world to begin with, <laughs> trying to limbo down, and basically they ducked underneath Well, that's it, the so. one thing. Like, hockey is probably just behind baseball in terms of the unwritten rules, and, mm-hmm. you're, you know, Don yep. Cherry, you're disrespecting yep. the game, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. But 
I've talked about this before, man. And sometimes it's the same debate as the All-Star Game. You have all these grumpy old men trying to fix things. And kids are the ones that love it. I wanted Tiger Williams to score when he was a Canuck because I wanted to see the fist pump and riding the stick down the ice. I wanted to see Icky Woods score to see the shuffle. Billy White, Shoes Johnson, the same thing. You're watching Carolina now going, what are they going to come up with next? And I don't think that's a bad thing. No, no, I, I, I agree with you. In fact, I, I think anybody really that was born after the Beatles' first appearance on Ed Sullivan has to recuse themselves from this conversation. And, and, and here's the other thing. Okay, if you're going to draw the line here, then where else? What, what else comes into play? I mean, the game has changed. It's moving forward. There's a different generation of fans who are consuming it now. I never thought I'd live to see a, an NHL franchise in Las Vegas. I never thought, you know, there'd be like Vegas-style productions as part of their Sell game presentation. Nashville, you know? I, I, absolutely. So y- you just can't stuff that genie back in the bottle. It's out there. The game's evolving it's evolving, you know, slower, a lot slower than a lot of other uh, professional sports. But it is moving, and I, I think it's largely a positive thing. Well, you know, and my thought, I mean, I mean, Don Cherry was largely irrelevant anyway, so this is what maybe why he's still good, is he can spike a conversation. Right. I love the T-shirts that Carolina absolutely. made. Absolutely. No, he did fantastic. them the biggest favor they could have possibly. He's actually turned yeah. it into a marketing gimmick. Absolutely, right? and, and actually made Coach's Corner somewhat watchable at least for a couple of weeks but this whole idea of disrespecting the game I mean for a guy who advocates someone being you know speared in the nuts to send a message show some respect for your opponent versus that I I did find that a little tiresome that that code and we've talked about this before it can basically mean anything you want it to mean you can shape it to form you know your argument and back it up that way and um, yeah so it's like I said Fun, but let's move on and talk about some things that are like relevant. Yeah, well, the the one thing is, is that's just Carolina, and mm-hmm. <laughs> sports are such copycats. And if it, like any other team that tries to do this, would just be cringeworthy. Now, this yeah, is their yeah, thing that yeah. they've come up with. Yeah, if some marketing guy says, "Guys, I want you to go out and do this as well," <laughs> I don't think it would it would work as well because what they've done in Carolina is a little more organic. I did want to ask you about this though, as we yeah. close up. Um, you know, you. You don't get on the road as much as obviously Ben and Patrick mm-hmm. who do the bulk of the travel, but you go on a couple of trips a year. This year they spared you the Edmonton Winnipeg back to back in January. Yeah. No, yeah. I've got a one nighter in Edmonton yeah. though. Okay, uh, still so, to go. Yeah, yeah. Um it's a lot different being in the rink than watching a game on TV. How how do you find the Canucks atmosphere versus what you saw? And again, I know that Anaheim and LA are struggling. Yeah. San Jose, obviously it's a that's a very unique building in terms of what the team's doing. I, how do you find an experience at Rogers Arena versus where else you've seen around the league? Uh, it it kind of depends on the game. depends on what Pedersen has done. You know, there, are, there have been games this year where you could feel some real energy. That, that, that's for sure. And, and it kind of, you know, fluctuates really on a game-to-game basis. In, in the rinks I was in, L.A. is just kind of meh. Uh, Anaheim, they, you know, they, they got a big win and they brought their American League goalie up and he pitched a shutout because God knows every team the Canucks face, they turned the goalie into <laughs> the, the second coming of George Vesna. Uh, San Jose, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for that, uh, for, for, for that franchise. And over the years, the Canucks have played some truly memorable regular season games there. That wasn't among them, but it was still a damn good hockey game. You know, 3-2, they they score with six minutes left. But, you know, the Canucks were right there. Uh, 
you could make the case they outplayed them, but they certainly weren't outplayed. Uh, that was a 50-50 game, and then Alex Biega makes one turn. But the energy in the building and and, and uh, for a Saturday night game, I thought that, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that contest. Yeah, I, it, I'm... <sighs> I've kind of came to this, I kind of had an, a bit of an epiphany last year. I went to a very late season game against the Ducks. And the Ducks were in the playoff fight at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think had won something like four in a row. And the Canucks beat them. And the building was a little bit electric. Now, they didn't even have Besser at that point because he was injured. Yeah. But the, all this talk of lose for a higher draft pick yeah. really struck me at that point. The people who are actually paying for tickets want to see the Canucks win. They were happy the team was scoring goals. They were energized by it. I mean, I know it was sort of the people knew the Sedin's tenure was coming to an end, so I think that sparked the end of the year. But there's there's still something about going to the rink which is special and supporting your team and that whole deal. So. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. And we've, we've seen that this year. You know, the, the, the big games they've had, and there have been a couple of highlight games, the one against Colorado early in the season where, where they win 7-6. Um, I'm sure there's others I'm just blanking out on, on, on specifics right now. Now, and the way this stretch drive press, I really hope the bottom doesn't fall out of this season. I hope they just, you know, continue to play. And and like I keep saying, the schedule is on their side. They've got a lot of home dates coming up. Maybe they start getting some bodies back, one or two. And wouldn't it be great, you know, if they could get Edler for most of the last month of the season? I mean, that that's the key guy for me. Uh, you add Adler and Quinn Hughes to that defense, and looks like he's going to sign sometime in mid-March for the final three weeks of the season. That changes a lot of things so for that is franchise. That, is that a scoop? Is that breaking news? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> a, yeah, I just love that one. It's been, I think it was like it might have been a scoop in September, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's um, that is you know it's an old sports axiom that we've used is like, would you buy a ticket to see X? And I find that yeah. that's the delightful thing about the Canucks now with Pedersen and Besser and you know you're absolutely right even if the Canucks don't win if you're if you have a ticket to that game and you see Pedersen do something special and I think people and, go and he happy. virtually does every and he night does almost every night I, I wrote about this I just I'll sign off on this one but I, I I found a whole new level of respect for his game so you know injury depleted lineup they're throwing him out there 20 22 20 20 minutes um, that's probably my wife. <laughs> and he's going up against, you know, Getzlaff and, and Kessler one eight, Kopitar the next, you know, San Jose and all their great veterans. And he's still a factor in the game. So, yeah, kid special. Awesome. Great stuff, Ed. I'll let you answer that while we sign off here. This is uh, the White Tail Podcast. You can catch uh, all of our podcasts on Apple Podcast. Download, subscribe, uh, give us a rating. Uh, we try and do these a couple times a week if we can. Uh, we also have the Off the Post National Hockey Podcast, which I do with Mike Tracos. Check that out as well. Uh, pretty interesting league-wide stuff from Mike every week. And check out our videos as well at thepromise.com, VancouverSun.com. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back to talk to you in a couple of days. Bye.